Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Go ahead and grab your Bible, and we're going to dive into the Word of God together in just a minute. Oh, man. Well, so we're, we're, we're not supposed to be in a series this summer. We said for a while that we, we wouldn't be in a series, that we were going to do some different things throughout this summer, that we were going to kind of teach whatever God has put on our hearts. And if you're new to our church and, and maybe you, you just started coming during the summertime, uh, it, we usually do a series where we spend some time, typically we pick a book in the Bible and we just kind of walk systematically through it, see what God wants to teach us through it. Like um, earlier this year, we spent 732 weeks in Romans, or at least it felt like that for me. Uh, And we're gonna eventually get back to that. But as we moved into the summer, I really felt like the Lord was just kind of saying to my heart, just just preach some things that, that maybe you've been thinking about for a while. And so we, I kind of mapped up all these things. I, I opened up my journal and I started scrolling through and I thought, okay, here are these different things, not kind of unrelated things, different topics that God had put on my spirit. And then, then I went to check. <laughs> and, and when you go out of the country for 14 days and you experience all that we experience, God starts wrestling with some stuff in your heart. And last week I, I brought a word to the forefront of our church that, that I had not planned to even revisit. I thought that we would talk about this word legacy last week and that would be it. That this word legacy was something that that God stuck in my spirit as I was processing all that we experienced in check as as we finished up our time there and we we interacted with people and we we tried to love people well and uh, as we moved back into the to Mayoc, which is the center that we stayed at for a portion of our time there and that Sunday after we had been at camp and I went up into the sanctuary they have there and just tried to process all the things, that word came to mind because I began to wrestle with why do I believe in God? And that might freak some of y'all out, like, well, you're the pastor. Yes. And let me tell you something. If you aren't constantly wondering why you believe in God, I got a question if you even believe in him. Like, you should wrestle with that question. Come on. Y'all don't go quiet on me now. I know what I just said was hard to hear, but it's true. Like, if you don't know why you believe in God, I got to wonder, do you believe in God? And there's a lot of reasons I started, because I had just been around a group of people, many of which don't. And so I began to just think, all right, God, why do I believe in you? How can I look up at the same sky and see one thing and the people that I've been with for the last 14 days look up at that sky and think something different? And I began to process all the things and write down all the reasons why I am convinced with every bit of my being that God is real. As real as I'm standing in this room today, look at me, I believe he is real. And he is good, and he is near, and he loves me, and he has revealed himself to me, and he wants relationship with me. And the way that he made that relationship possible is through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced of it. So convinced that I want to convince other people. Again, not so that they're part of my tribe, but so that we all celebrate in heaven one day. Come on. And so I started just processing all these different things and one of the things is, I hope you know that there, there is evidence for the existence of God despite what the world might tell you. Science and God are not enemies. He is the author of it all. 
And the more you lean into science, the more you see it pointing to the creator. But if I'm honest, one of the, one of the things that really just stood out to me of, of what shaped the faith that I have, I told you last week, is I am living a legacy of faith that went before me. Man, my whole life I've been surrounded by amazing people. My whole life, from start to now, even now, man, I look at our church, I look at our staff, I look at the people that have surrounded me, and man, I'm so blessed. Even Thursday night, man, if you're not going to a community group, you need to. You need, well, I work, quit your job, go to a community group. <laughs> I want to say I'm kidding, but I'm cutting anyway. But I'm sitting in this room Thursday night with this group of men, and the, y'all, the Holy Spirit just met with us. We didn't even get to our questions. God just started moving, and people started testifying and sharing their stories. And I'm just, I'm just sitting in this room thinking, God, I'm so grateful to be in this room with these men who are living out their faith. They're not, they're not pastors. They're, they're just normal people who are living out their jobs and raising their families and, and, and experiencing your goodness, and they're talking about it. And you're using our church for some reason to help them know you in a deeper, more powerful way. And, and I just begin to oh, get overwhelmed. And, and then I just all these things just started flooding back to me of this legacy of faith in my spirit. And I thought, man, God, my whole life, you've put people of faith in my path that have inspired who I am today. I mean, y'all, literally from the onset of my life, I'm not supposed to be here. My biological mom was a teenager when she got pregnant with me. The fact that I was born is a miracle from God and nobody could ever convince me otherwise. And the fact that like I didn't, I didn't grow up in foster homes, I didn't grow up in an orphanage, I grew up in Tommy and Joanne Smith's house. And that's a powerful thing because they're the two most godly people you'll ever be around. I grew up in a house that didn't just teach me about Jesus. I grew up in a house that showed me how to live for him. What my, my parents didn't just give lip service to faith. My, pa- my parents, my dad was my pastor too my whole life. And he lived it, y'all. He lived it. I can recall standing in my living room watching my dad stand at our screen door as my mom pulled out of the driveway and his lips moving and he's praying God's blessing and favor over his wife. You don't think that affects how I'm a husband now? When I, when I graduated from high school and I was the biggest punk 18-year-old you'd ever seen because I was like every 18, I was dumb as a rock but thought I knew everything. And God used a year of community college because I was so confused about, I wasn't confused a bit. I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. I just didn't want to do it. And all my friends had gone off to college and I'm around my parents and I'm watching them live out their faith in real, powerful, tangible ways. And it left an impression on my spirit that shaped, I told everybody, you can either give them credit or you can give them blame. You decide. Because everything I am is from, and, but then there's so many more. I think about, I grew up going to Sunday school and I hated it because it was early on a Saturday morning and I wanted to be home eating Hungry Jacks, watching cartoons. Remember a little Hungry Jack biscuits? He'd peel them off by like, good Lord, glory to God. Um, I hated going to Sunday school and I was a preacher. My mom used to dress me up. I remember wearing red suspenders and a red, I was the biggest dork in church. I was a pastor's kid. What'd they do to me? I've got pictures. You can't see them. 
but I hated it. But did you know almost every Bible story that I leaned into as an adult are things that was taught to me as a child? See, there's things that you hate in the moment that you'll be grateful for one day. There's stuff that, 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 you, didn't, that, that you didn't like. And you know what? There was part of our church experience, like all of us, that was awful. Because church can be a mean place. But what I've experienced from a lifetime in the church is far better and it's far more positive than sometimes I want to remember. And it's who I am. It's a leg. Pull it up again. Pull that word. It's a legacy. It's a legacy. I want you to see it. Pull that word back up, y'all. Legacy. It is a legacy of faith. And I can't get away from that word. Like I said, last Sunday, I was convinced. We'd talk about this for one Sunday. I'd walk off this platform, and that'd be it. And God won't let me get away from it. Sat down in my office on Monday, planning to go in the direction I had planned to go for several weeks. And God said, no, you're going to stay here. I said, God, I don't know what else to say. He said, I'll give it to you. I said, okay. And I got about 50 things in here. I got through about half of it in the first gathering. We'll see how much we get through now. And at this rate, it ain't going to be a whole lot because I just keep talking about things that aren't even in my notes. <laughs> Legacy of faith. That song we just sang. It, did you hear, did you notice that it, that it was about legacy from generation to generation to generation? Because I keep asking myself, Lord, am, am I living in such a way that's leaving a better legacy than I was given? Because I was handed a great one. Am, am I, is the one I'm leaving going to be as strong as the one that was left for me? And I challenged every single one of us to, to wrestle with this question. What legacy are you leaving through the life you're currently living? Because whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you're leaving a legacy, it's not an option. You are leaving a legacy through the life you're currently living. The question is, is it the one that you really want to leave? Is the legacy that you're writing before the generation that's watching you is it the one you want to be rem remembered for? Or is it something less than? And here's the good news. Don't, don't let the enemy convince you it's too late to change. Don't let the enemy convince you it's too late. It's, that's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to say, no, it's too late. Look at all that you've done. Look at all the, all, all the wreckage from your life. Look at all the failed relationships. Look at all, all the debt. Look at all the things that you, like, you can't correct now. Let me just tell you, yes, you can, because our God is big enough to redeem anyone and everyone's story. <laughs> Paul could have been remembered as Christian killer. Instead, he's remembered as church planner. Peter could have been remembered as Christ's denier. Instead, he's the one that preached the Pentecost sermon. Our God is an overcomer. And the legacy that you want to leave is still possible. And I need you to believe that. I need you to believe that. And none of this is what I plan to preach, so I need to keep moving. Because the one thing that really stuck with me after I got done speaking last week was a need to clarify. I need to clarify something I said. Because I made the statement last week that love is the pathway to lasting legacy. And now I'm still con absolutely convinced that's true. 
that love is the vehicle that we use. Love is what we do in order to really leave the lasting legacy because I believe that's exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples in the upper room. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But here's the question. If love is the pathway to lasting legacy, what does love look like? What does love look like? And here's a better question. Where are we looking to determine what love looks like? If love is the pathway to lasting legacy, what does true love, sincere love, real love look like? Because when we all admit that love is a word we hear a lot in our culture, you got seventh graders saying, I love you. You don't even know what love is. Y'all ain't never met. Y'all just DM'd on Instagram. What does love look like? I'm talking about real, genuine, God-centered, biblical love. Not the cultural, ooey-gooey, sentimental, feel-good, passive, tolerant idea of love. And here's my fear, that we can fall into trap of letting the world tell us what love is instead of letting the Bible define it for us. All of a sudden got a little quiet in the room. <laughs> because sometimes I hear people say, well, Jesus would and Jesus loved like, I'm like, which Jesus are you talking about? Because it seems like there's, there's a version of Christ-like love that our culture wants to accept that to me is outside of the realm of what scripture shows us to be true. And when Jesus told the disciples to love, he even told them exactly how to love because I don't know if you know this, but before verse 35, there's verse 34. John 13, 34, before he says, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples, he says, I give you a new command, love one another. And he says, just as I have loved you, that the way that you will love that will change the world is the way that you have seen and watched me love the way I have loved you. At this point, we think that maybe you're three and a half years into them watching the perfect son of God live out love. And Jesus saying, if you will love the way that you've seen me love, that's what will change the world. That you've seen how I loved you, you've watched how I have loved other people. If you will mirror the love that I have modeled, it will change the world. So do you really understand how Jesus loved? Because this is the only place you'll really find it. The only way for you to know the way that Jesus loved is to study his word. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what reveal what it means to love like Jesus. And sometimes I hear some things that just don't compute with what I see in the life of Jesus in Scripture. It's funny what we say. Well, you know, you know where Jesus would be if he was here? He'd be with sinners. Would he have any other choice? Because we're all sinners. I hear that all the time. Well, Jesus was always with sinners. Yes, because he's the only one that wasn't one. 
So whether he was with religious people or whether he was with prostitutes, either way, he was with sinners. Because to be with any other human other than himself was to be with the sinner. But if you notice Jesus, it's like we like the compassion Jesus and ignore the correction Jesus. And Jesus was both, church. He modeled compassion and he also modeled correction. And there's not a single encounter that you can watch with Jesus where you don't see both come up. Yes, there's compassion, but there's also correction. When he sat down with with Nicodemus, old Nick at night, And he came and he asked questions. There was compassion. He welcomed him. He embraced him. But he also had to correct some of his thinking. He said, nah, man, just because you're part of the religious party, just because you go through the ritual, no, you got to be born again. And that was like, what? Be born? Like, I got to come back out? Wait, wait, what? When the woman that was caught in the midst of a really precarious situation was brought to him and he said let you without sin cast the first stone do you remember what he said before she left I don't condemn you either but go and leave your life of sin when he was with the woman at the well he was straight up he said yeah I know all about this situation and I know where you're at now like there was compassion and there was correction and sometimes I wonder if we're wanting to take the correction part out of love and lean only into the compassion because if we lean into the compassion and the correction, maybe we're not as popular or maybe it gets uncomfortable or maybe it gets challenging. But if we're going to love like Jesus, we have to always recognize that it comes with both compassion and correction. And the church has a really bad problem of swinging to the extremes, don't we? (laughs) We either go all the way to the correction side and everybody's evil and it's legalism and you're a devil if you wear jeans and all this other kind of stuff. Or we go to the other side of the extreme and we just dismiss everything, everything's permissible and it's this universalist mentality that is also contrary to scripture and we've gotta find a way, the church, if we're gonna leave the lasting legacy that we want to leave to operate with both grace and truth and do it with compassion. You know how I know it can be done? Jesus did it. And we should reflect him. This is seen in the passage that we looked at last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. I reminded us last week, this is not a wedding passage. This is a a body of Christ passage. This is sandwiched in the middle of Paul challenging the church to be the church, to leverage all the things that God has put in us to draw people to Jesus and that he's given us all these gifts and these abilities and these talents, not to elevate us, but to advance his kingdom. But he says, all these gifts, all these talents, if you do all this stuff but don't have love, doesn't matter what we do as a church, man, we can do all the things. He says, even if you're charitable, but you're not doing it out of love for the soul of people, it's just noise. It's just noise. And then he unpacks what love is and what love does. And it's amazing how quickly we can latch on to the parts of what love does that we like and overlook the parts that are a bit uncomfortable. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. Y'all leave that up for a minute. All this is true. 
about biblical Christ-like love. Love is patient. You know why love is patient? Because people aren't perfect. And imperfect people require a whole lot of patience. Come on, somebody. Say amen if you are one. You said amen. Okay, I'll just say we all said amen. And it's kind. Love's not rude or irritable or arrogant. Like we never have permission, no matter how right we think we are, you never have permission from God to be rude about it. Come on. Patient, kind, it does not envy, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not self-seeking or self-serving, it's not irritable, no matter how many cups of coffee you have or have had. It does not, doesn't keep score. And that's the part we like. But then move to verse 6. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Just take that in, let that sink in a minute. The implications of that reality, it does not take joy in unrighteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that people are different than you. That means that people are separated from God. Because remember in our Roman study, righteousness and right standing with God that comes not by anything that we do, but by what Jesus did. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. See, we can never, look at me, we can never create an idea of loving kindness that removes our ability and willingness to impart truth. Because if it does, if we do, then we create a version of love that is either loving nor kind. And we have to be the generation that finds a way to speak truth into the world that we live in and to the culture in which we have been chosen to encounter and honor God and what his word says in a way that is God honoring and people loving. And we have a responsibility to figure out how to do that. Come on. That we have to love people well and meet people where they are and engage people no matter what they've done. And knowing that we have the responsibility. I said last week that we, when we lead with the truth that we have, we clear the way, or excuse me, when we lead with the love that we have, we clear the way for the truth that we know or truth that we believe and see, at some point, you're going to have to open your mouth, and you're going to have to speak into the things that you have to address in the culture in which you live. And there's going to come a time when people are going to paint you as unloving when you do so. I don't know what we have to do with that reality, but can we acknowledge that that's a reality? Say amen. Come on. And that's why it's so important to understand that this kind of love that needs to flow out of us is something that God has to put in us. See, you are, you are in, in your nature incapable of loving the way that God wants you to love. It's something that God has got to put in you. I'll say it like this. Sincere love flows from a supernatural source. That the kind of love that's gonna, that needs to flow out of you, that's going to change the world in which we live, is not one that comes natural to us. It's not one that just is. It's not one that you can just like train yourself up in. It is a love that God has to put in your heart. It is something that He imparts to you. It is a love that He wants to put in you for other people. 
that it just doesn't come naturally. And the, and the first to follow Jesus supremely recognized that their ability to love others came from their love for God and their love from God. See, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, who records that statement in, in John 13 that we talk about, they'll know you by this love. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And when you read those things, you see this sentiment reflected in his words in these other writings. Look at it with me. It's, look at 1st John chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 7, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 16. So hang with me and hear these words. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He's given us his, given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior, and whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God remains in him and he in God, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Then look at verse 19. For we love because he first loved us. What is the natural response when you understand God's love for you? You love other people. The evidence that you really, fully, completely, deep in your heart understand that God loves you is not that you show up at church. It's not even that, that, that you just read your Bible or, or that you pray. That at the more you understand God's love for you, the greater you have capacity to love other people. There's no way, look at me, there's no way you can say you love God and not be increasing in love for other people. I have people ask me all the time, like, well, how do you know? Like, that's, that's exactly what his church says. The more, the more, and then when you realize the way he loves you, it changes the way you love other people. I don't know if you noticed this, but did you notice that every single thing that Paul says about love in 1 Corinthians 13 reflects the way Jesus loves us? Anybody ever, God been patient with you? Anybody say, yeah, God's been patient with me? Anybody say, God's been kind to me? Like you go and you read that list, that's the way Jesus loved. And that's the way he's called us to love compassion and correction, grace and truth, ever in increasing measure, welling up in our spirit, our ability to love other people well. 
Sincere love flows from a supernatural source welling up in us a compassion for the world around us that bursts out, that gives us courage and power to step into the world in which we've been placed and love it well. Not love it with some cultural idea of ooey-gooey superficial love, but a deep, supernatural, all-encompassing, God-centered love. That's how we change the world. That's how we change the world. That is how we change the world. It's how we leave a legacy of love. And so I've been praying for us. It's interesting that we sing that song, The Blessing, and it drew us into this prayer that Aaron, the priests of the nation, prayed over them because your pastor, I've been praying scripture over you like crazy this week as God has put this on my heart. I've been praying Ephesians chapter three. It's a, it's a prayer that Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus. It's Ephesians chapter three. Will you humor me as your pastor for a minute? Will you turn there? However you wanna turn there, open up your Bible or pull it up on your phone and highlight it. If you say, Matt, what are you, what are you praying for our church? Tonight, we begin a three-part series called Reminded to Pray. Where for the next three Sunday nights at five o'clock right here in this room, we're asking you to come like we did. We, we opened up 2022 with releasing the word, feeling like we wanted to equip and empower people to get in the word. Now, eight months later, we feel like God's just calling us to pray. That pray, pray. Can I invite you to praise? I'm, I'm interrupting myself. That's okay. There's something that I remember my parents and the generation before us that used to pray all the time that I don't hear being prayed for anymore. Pray for revival. I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for revival in, in the church like we've never seen before, like a renewed sense of passion and purpose because I don't know, it seems like we've come on the other side of COVID and it's like we're just kind of drifting through in so many ways and, and we just got, we, something's got to shift in our hearts. It's got to shift in our minds. And so I'm asking God to revive us in ways. And I think that starts with loving other people. I'm not asking for a revival of love for church, although I'm a pastor. I love church. I love being a part of this. But let me tell you something. If our heart doesn't start breaking for the people around us, nothing is ever going to change. It begins with a burden for the people around you, not just a desire to show up in a building. And so for the next three Sunday nights, come hang out with us. We asked you to register just so that we could plan, but it doesn't matter. If at 4.55 today you decide you need to be here, come on. Our students are gonna be here and it's gonna, we're gonna have childcare. We're gonna pray. We're gonna ask, we're gonna learn how to pray, how to talk to God in a more passionate way and, how, and we're gonna just spend some time. We're gonna finish this in that week three, anointing people with oil and calling down the power of heaven. Might get a little wild in here. That'll be all right. But this is the prayer that I'm starting with. It's Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. It says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, Paul says, it's this reason that I, I'm kneeling in prayer. It says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that being rooted and firmly established 
in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. If that happens, revival will come. Stand on your feet with me. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And hear it again. I pray that he might grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so for our generation. God, let it happen in in vintage as it happened in Ephesus. God, help love to well up in our spirit. God, help us to, to come to a greater realization and understanding of your love for us, that it might overflow from us, that we might love the people around us and see your kingdom advance unlike any other time in our lifetime. Let revival come through the love of your people and let it start with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Will you give God some praise this morning? Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.